Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you love Star Wars. Well, I love it too. And I've always wanted to tell my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about Skywalkers and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots on the ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud 79 is all about. If you are new to the show, welcome. But please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode three, Rumors of War. Platoon 79 assault a small but fiercely defended raider compound. After securing the location, they are ushered away by members of Imperial Intelligence. This prompts a search for First Squad's downed Lardy. The ship is located along with a Jedi sigil written in blood on the Lardy's hull. Secretive intelligence operatives? A Jedi sigil? What's in store for the mutters of Platoon 79? Let's find out. Three weeks after the firefight at the Raider camp, it was peak summer. We were told this was as hot as it was going to get. And believe me, it was utterly disgusting. I'd sweat through my gear before breakfast as we marched around the parade square all day or dug satellite defensive fortifications on either side of the river. Which still smelled like ass, only now it was worse because of the heat. We built three watch posts and they were built in the stinking heat. It was so hot, you'd lose your grip on the shovel from the sweat. At least I did. To keep us working, they fed us all kinds of pills and tabs just to ensure we didn't lose too much water. But all of us got dizzy from the heat. Ever since our incursion with those Kenyan bandits, little pockets of violence had sprung up all over Seston 4. Nothing major, at least not on the scale of what we'd seen. But based on the chatter, it seemed like we definitely rattled a few cages. There would be these weird incidents like a ship getting shot at while running cargo. Troops on leave in one of the cities getting cut down in an alley. Or a platoon out on patrol would come under fire. Every few days, another story would start making its way around the camp. We were told to shut it. One day, the colonel herself addressed us. I understand there have been rumors of organized resistance against imperial interests in the Eastern Islands. Remember, these are rumors. And I will not have them taking seat in this battalion. Is that understood? We knew from that moment on, talking about it could get you in a lot of shit, so we kept it to a whisper. But there were a lot of whispers, and they were getting loud. How could you keep quiet when more than 40 of us had been killed, and there had been close to 100 wounded? Some of the others found it distressing, but I don't remember feeling that way at the time. 
It's like I expected it. We were told over and over again during basic that the galaxy was changing and with change came struggle. We needed to be prepared for it. We were the backbone of the empire and were the key to keeping it strong. There was a shift away from the corrupt bureaucratic nightmare that the Republic created to become something more efficient and streamlined. All of these changes, and in particular the trade stuff, led to anger in some of the locals, and some got violent. And it wasn't just the locals. Trouble attracts trouble. That's just how things were. That's how things are. That's literally why we were there. To clean things up. I had my own theories. I thought that some of the local governments, maybe even some of the mining guild heads, were behind the violence. Funding it out of pocket. Anyone with resources or power who didn't get the deal they'd expected from the Imperial Board of Trade could easily hire a few locals to try and stir some shit or something. Meanwhile, Platoon 79 was still short a squad after that lardy was shot down. We also had need of other replacements to fill the ranks to full strength. The good news was that our injured were slowly rejoining us as the days passed. And those bastards returning from the infirmary kept going on about the rations they were getting in there. Way better than the stuff we were getting on the mess line, that's for sure. I have to note that the medical staff the Imperial Army had was incredible. They did their jobs and then some. And because of that, if you were injured and made it back to camp, odds were pretty much set you'd pull through. On another scorching hot day, one that made you feel like you were walking through soup instead of air, we got word we'd be going out on patrol. This wasn't like before. There was no call for help. The brass just wanted us to take a closer look at the smaller mining operations. Something wasn't adding up. The output of the mines should have been a lot higher than what was being reported. And command was sending us off to do some light poking around just to make sure no one was cutting their haul and selling it on the black market. They called an assembly at one of the grounds where the LT gave us the once-over. All right, 79. We've been given patrol duty in the southern portion of the Bista Valley. We're to assess the off-book mining activity in the region along Lake Maravasia and the Mid-Gaspi River in sectors E26 and 27. We'll also make contact with the leadership of several communities along the way and ensure they know Seston 4 is Imperial territory and as such they are entitled to our protection. Assemble at 0600 tomorrow, landing pad 11. Dismissed. We grumbled as we made our way back to barracks. The assignment was just political, flag-waving bullshit. We knew there were people out there taking pot shots at us. And this was our reaction. What were we going to accomplish from walking along, saying hello to bumpkins in the middle of nowhere? What great insights were we going to get from prospectors? Or were we just supposed to ask about how their luck was holding out? It all felt so stupid. 
we were attacked. Just a few weeks ago, more than half of our platoon was dead or wounded. And there was nothing we could do about it. What was doubly frustrating was we still had zero clue what actually happened. Why were we attacked? Who shot that lardy down? And those who may have had a clue weren't talking. Not to us, anyways. I saw Husto on our way back to some work detail. Asked him in a hushed whisper about the downed lardy. You know, just expecting some dirt or something. Slight dirt. Dust, even. Instead, it felt like he looked through me. What the fuck are you talking about? The way he spoke, I could have been convinced he actually didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. That somehow, when he was brought up to the crossfire after we found those headless bodies, that his mind was wiped or something. Maybe he really had zero memory of what happened. That's how definitive his reply was. It was hard to know whether he wasn't talking because he was a good soldier who understood the need for secrecy or because he was being true to his nature. An asshole. Lights were out and I pulled off a bottle of Kang Tree with Staven and Murray. We burned half a pack of tobacco just sitting outside, talking. I handed the bottle to Staven and before taking a deep haul, she shoved Murray with her foot. So, spit it out. What's happening on the islands out east, dipshit? We know you comms guys are all jerking each other off. Murray waited for her to give him the Kang tree. He drained it and lit up a stick. Well, okay. I did catch something right before assembly with Orto. I actually thought that this was what he was going to talk to us about. But maybe it's not true. What's not true? There's this comms guy who works on the crossfire. He's a Toan, like me. Says the 1st Battalion Patrol just north of Old Mine got into some serious shit yesterday. Like, serious shit. I choked back a sudden burst of laughter, like I actually chuckled. This fucking guy, getting all dramatic like we were telling campfire stories or something. If he had actual dope, like an actual story, he would have spilled it hours ago. I just stared at him, blankly. No, man, I'm fucking serious. Almost half a company got wiped out. They were setting up a watch post outside the city and got lit up. Some local militia posing as civvies. They went Sith Empire on these guys. And after it was done, when they called in the air support and neutralized the enemy and hit the fire points to cut them down, only found four bodies. That's it. No one else. Fuck off. Four bodies? Four people aren't bringing down half a company. That's two full platoons, man. I call bullshit. It wasn't just four insurgents. It was that just four bodies was all they found. He went on to tell us that there was evidence of at least 20 enemy soldiers based on energy discharge readings, footprints, ground compression, and the amount of weapons needed to sustain that type of fire. But here's the thing that's shocking and why he wanted us hanging on to every single word he was saying. The attackers vanished, disappeared. No one saw them leave. No one had a clue. They were gone, like morning mist. 
I might be weird, but I loved hearing about stuff like this. That surgical feel, the spot-on ghost ops wet work stuff. It could be because this is what I was learning about during my brief time with the Scout Corps. I still had the manuals, and they were great reading when I had time for reading. It made the basic maneuvers we executed as regular infantry a lot easier to understand because you had a broader perspective of what the overall intentions were. Staven and I both rolled our eyes when Murray finished, told him he was getting washed by his genetic buddy up in orbit. But as I lay down that night, my mind wandered to the image of those guys coming out of the cave weeks earlier. The ones on the Seraph speeder, the driver, and how he was right where he needed to be. The fire control of that gunner on the back, never leaning too hard on the trigger. They moved about with precision and pause. We just caught them when they weren't expecting it. But even then, they knew how to dance. Maybe this comms guy was telling Murray the truth. Or maybe I had taken one too many tugs off that bottle. The next morning was rough. My head was spinning and it was hard keeping food down. I could barely hold it together when the lardy lurched forward on the pad. Then we hit mock and I tasted bile at the back of my throat. Didn't help that the damn thing was crowded, too. We had three squads rammed into two vehicles. Last time, every squad had their own. Like a can of galactic sardines, we sat on our packs, suffocating in the heat and heavy air with little circulation, all covered in greasy sweat. At least I was. The collective damp of 20-plus mutters. It wasn't even 7 a.m., I was dreading that midday heat that was going to land on us like a pergill falling out of orbit. Again, that's my inner bumpkin coming out. Most folk in the inner systems have no idea what a pergill is. They're giant space whales, and every now and again, one will get caught in a planet's gravity and sucked down. And when they do hit the ground, it's a spectacle. A very messy spectacle. Altherium, the galaxy's greatest detonator tosser, was slouched next to me, and he was popping his dry pills, the ones we used to prevent dehydration. He nudged me to do the same. Supposedly, the pills cooled our bodies from the inside. They were one of the litany of pills we needed to take whenever we left base. The problem wasn't just the heat, it was also the bugs. There were so many of them, and there were so little. They were everywhere, off base and in our bunks, wherever we went, and they carried disease. The last thing the Empire wanted was for us to get sick. Not because they really cared about us, but keeping us alive was a lot cheaper than replacing us. I pulled out my canteen and swallowed the pills. We came out of mock and the vents slid open on the side of the lardy. That was always nice, like, being reborn by the breeze that came in. It really blew the stink out of the place. And with it came silence. We all took it in. This moment, we soaked in it. The freshness of airflow. 
I assumed that everyone else, like me, was doing some reflecting about what happened last time. I took comfort in knowing this wasn't a distress call and maybe we'd land before getting shot at. The Lardies came down just north of a village named Gofan along Lake Maravasia. It was a decent-sized lake, and I saw some fishing boats on our approach. Just like that, the calm was over. We were up and ready to exit before we even hit the deck. And when those doors opened, we piled off. We were still forming up as the lardies began to take off behind us. The village was still a half-click away. Had at least a thousand residents, maybe two. Gofan made its way out onto the muddy banks of the lakeside. Flats and stretches of shallow water. Some of the buildings were on stilts as they sprawled out, and some had boats hitched up to jetties and docks. The din of a few small shuttles and cargo hoppers buzzed overhead and around town. And that's when we saw a landspeeder coming out to meet us. Just a single landspeeder, no escort. I guess we were expected. A Twi'lek woman got off. She was tall, had a bright pink hue, and some tattoos or markings running down her leku. Which, if you didn't know, that's what those head tails are called on Twi'lek. You know, the long, fleshy appendages that protrude from the back of their heads. Don't call them tentacles. They don't like that. At all. She and the LT had a few words. Cordial greetings, it seemed like. I didn't get a good look at how things went down, but the LT, Corporal Husto, and Sergeant Hefsbar all headed into town on her speeder. I hoped we'd get to sit down in the grass for a bit, maybe take a nap. I was wiped. Could have been the pills, but I think it was more likely how drunk I'd been just seven hours earlier. That nap wasn't going to happen, though. As soon as the speeder headed into town, Sergeant Gentala piped up on the comms. While the LT makes nice with the locals, I want you to break into squads and patrol the surrounding area. Survey the landscape. I want notes transmitted to the central map file on your bracelets. Were we to defend this position, how would we do it? Two, you're north, three west, and four, you're hitting the south lakeshore near the river. You've got three hours. Move out. It could have been worse. Combat theory is interesting stuff, because it literally keeps you alive. And it wasn't often we ever got to give input on tactics. Maybe they were considering giving out some promotions for junior leadership positions. We rounded the village, and Staven sidled up beside me. This is what happened to that company at 1st Battalion. Headed out, looking to lay down lumber, and they got toasted. I reminded her that that was all bullshit. We had both agreed it was bullshit. And now she's suddenly buying into it? Now? Not the time. Whatever, man. My shit's on auto. I took a double step to get ahead of her, but I also switched over to auto, just in case. I didn't want to believe what we'd heard the night before, but who fucking knew, man? Gofan was clustered along the lakefront, and from the southern fringe you could see the edge of the Gaspi River, which is what Lake Maravasia drained into. There was some light forest cover, but you could still get a decent view of the river's edge. The trees were sparse and thin. They grew five meters or so tall, and they had a cluster of broad, petal-like leaves at the top. Some shrubs sprinkled here and there. 
They gave some visual cover for any advancing infantry, but a sustained firefight would have ripped them to shreds pretty quick. The soil was soft, not dry or sandy. It was on the verge of spongy mud, but it had a slight crumble. Great for digging, but like the bushes, I don't know how well it'd cope under heavy fire. Still, knowing we could dig down deep was ideal for fire discipline because when soldiers feel safe, they're a lot less likely to pull the trigger when there's nothing to shoot at. I was prickly. The whole time I wandered around noting up the map file, my ears popped, listening for anything. I didn't want to think Murray's story was true, but when you're in that situation with so many stories going around all the time, you get paranoid. But nothing came. Saw some grittic along the lakeshore, but aside from that, nothing too dangerous. We finished our survey and met back up where we landed. LT was already there. Second and third squads, too. Guess we were the latecomers. Orders came to break into our rations and hydrate. We took a few minutes rest before moving on. There was a lot of talk in the ranks while we all shared our notes on the map. I was relieved to see we were all on the same page in terms of what made for a good defense. Makes it easier to trust the person dug in beside you and you're moderately confident they're not a complete moron. Orto called the sergeants over and a few minutes later we moved on. Headed east in standard columns. Fourth squad was the furthest south and closest to the river. The land was flat, made for easy marching. It was consistent with what we'd seen while surveying. So it was a bit softer, though. Stuck to your boots a bit, but not to the point it was bothersome, just something you'd notice. Making the steps a touch harder and awkward. We kept moving. A dirt road ran parallel to the river, which flowed west until it joined up with a much larger river, the Long Vista, which was wide, deep, and fast-flowing. It ran steady westward and met up with the ocean. Our op would conclude when we met that junction and made contact with every settlement and mine in between. The mayor of Gofan gave us a list with all the known mining operations in the region. Before sunset, we'd stop by six of them. We cataloged their stock, inspected their permits. There was one mine operator that got a bit pushy with the LT when we informed him his permit had expired. But Orto kept things cool and diplomatic. He even gave him a direct line to a junior officer with the Imperial Board of Trade. Before we left, the miner apologized and thanked the LT for the help. And so, we moved on. We'd been on the trail three days and things weren't that bad. We stunk of sweat and the bugs were eating us alive, but no one had a fever and finding water was easy. We've been through 14 separate digs and two more tiny settlements. Combined, they were made up of less than 500 people. The settlers eyed us curiously and cautiously retreated into their mud straw shacks when they saw us coming. But there was no hostility, and each village gave us a list of smaller mining ops to inspect. We hit them all up, one by one, showed our faces and listened to their concerns about security. We asked them about any raider activity they'd seen recently. Fortunately, they all insisted that things had been safer since the Imperial flag was raised. 
They grumbled that they weren't getting as much money for the Kennying as they'd used to, but some noted that the money they'd lost was what they would have been paying for protection anyways. So it evened out. Wasn't that bad. The morning of the fourth day in the field, our rations were all but gone. We were hungry and had been recycling our socks and underwear. We were in a sour mood, too, because we were now moving through deep mud. It had rained for the first time since the patrol began. Every time we'd come out of a bog, we'd have to stop and inspect ourselves for parasites and vamp slugs that wriggled their way into your boots and latched on to drain you. Sick little blue bastards. After a while, you began to feel like a buffet for the wildlife. The vegetation was a lot thicker, and that only slowed us down further. We hacked our way along with vibroblades. It was tough going, but we were told there was a decent-sized town up ahead where we'd resupply. Squad 4 was keeping up the back end, doing our best to focus on rear watch, but everyone was pretty lax at this point. And then we heard a boom. The explosion came with a dull thud, and I hit the deck. Eltherium was ahead of me, and he went down too. We eyed our fire zones. No movement, but we were so low we couldn't see anything but vegetation. There was shouting up ahead, but no screams though, and no blaster fire either. We were all quiet as we looked around and wondered what was up. We didn't break radio silence, though. That would get you in some deep shit. Medic to the front. Someone was hurt. But the lack of blaster fire was confusing, so we just stayed and watched our line of fire. I guessed it was a booby trap, but booby traps were usually set up as a precursor to an ambush. You cause a bit of chaos, and then you take advantage. This is basic stuff. I saw a shell lizard climbing along a frond to my right. Just glared at me with its big dark eyes, wondering what I was doing there. Buddy, I got no clue. Squad four, move ahead and form a rear guard with squad three. Corvus formation, over. We hustled up, drew in with the rest of the platoon. The formation was tight, but still wide. I could hear chatter a few meters away. Private Faselli, a rifleman, tripped a mine and blew off one of his legs. Three others were wounded. Nothing serious enough to get them off the line, though, just cuts and bruises. Husta was doing his best to get the bleeding under control, and there were no screams because Faselli was in shock. Coming in and out of consciousness, rambling, making no sense. We held there tight for 30 minutes. Then, another boom came in from the east. A lardy coming at a mock. Thing dropped right beside us, and some medics hopped out. There were also a few duty privates from one of the other companies on base standing beside some crates. Get those crates off the lardy. Let's move. I guess this was our resupply. Come early. We hopped up and went forward. Got to work, clearing the thing out. Lardy was empty before the medics made it back with the celly. 
That's when I saw his leg. Covered in foam bandages, all soaked and jagged. Nasty wound, but I had confidence he'd be all right. Might even qualify for a full cybernetic replacement. In which case, he'd be back on patrol with the rest of us in just a few months. That explosion rattled us, though. Like I said, an anti-personnel mine out here in the middle of nowhere? It made no sense. But as we swept around scanning for more charges and potential hazards, we figured out what happened. Ten meters from where the landmine was hidden, we found the remnants of an abandoned dig site. It was pretty extensive. Probably had a dozen or so people working it at one point. Totally overgrown. Flooded now, though. The scans showed that there had been a decent Kenyan deposit here. They also showed the remnants and residue of heavy blaster fire. That landmine had probably been left over as some improv defensive network from whoever was working it before. But leaving behind ordinance, live ordinance, like this, was a crime. And given it had severely wounded an Imperial trooper, charges would inevitably be laid, followed by a hefty prison sentence. This would be considered an attack on the Empire itself. And since this dig wasn't one of the ones mentioned to us in the last village, the LT hoped the town up ahead could have some info. Because Orto would not let something like this slide. He had a pissy look. Pissier than normal. Just before lunch, we reached the town of Flaudine. Saw it a ways off. We came to a rise and it was down below. Stretched out in the midst of a bunch of farmland. Fields were growing cow fruit, which is a green berry that glows at night. It grows on vines, and some people use them as a natural light source in gardens, so they plant vines along fences and walls. They're also used in a lot of home remedies and medicines, since it does a great job at warding off infections in most species. It looked likely this would be, or was, an important settlement to Imperial interests. There was also a decent amount of air traffic. Small hovercraft heading back and forth from the fields and above the town proper. They even had a spaceport. As we marched towards town, we caught sight of a shuttle taking off into orbit. Mid-sized hauler. Nothing that appeared out of the ordinary. We approached along a farm trail between rows of calvines. File formation, five paces between each of us. Standard marching order. Not expecting hostility but always ready for it. Squad 4 was right in the middle, and I saw a small lander come down a few meters ahead of point. It zipped over the vines on its approach, quick and direct, heading right for us. There were a few members of some local militia, simple uniforms, no armor, maybe a duro weave in the fabric, though. I was too far away to get a good view. There was one of them that stood out, though, dressed the same as the rest, but he carried himself like he was something more. Clean cut, human male, dark complexion, wasn't too tall either, slim build, but he had that look of combat, that easy walk, just glared us over. Came right up to the LT and bowed. It was brisk and sharp, followed by an extension of his hand. Orto grabbed it. These two were the same guy. They looked completely different. 
The LT had at least six inches on him and maybe 50 pounds more muscle. But that bearing, same cloth. I have come to personally welcome you and your troops, Lieutenant. I was made aware of your visit and had prepared a gathering in your honor. An informal meal followed by a series of discussions with our civic leaders about exactly what our points of interest are with the shift to the Imperial rule. If you would like to gather your staff and join me, we'll be on our way. This guy spoke like a day planner. His name was Jesper Chorus, and he was a guerrilla leader during the Clone Wars. And when that ended, he'd taken control of this part of Seston IV. He ran a syndicate that operated a few mining operations, and he became a civic leader. I heard the people welcomed him with open arms because of how efficient he was in dealing with the criminal element. I mean, say what you will. He'd set up free schools and healthcare, both of which exceeded imperial standards. And the farms were well-tended. I know farms. I was raised on one. I worked on them till I put on the uniform. I could see how well-maintained these were. This was skilled labor, not the work of random programmed harvest droids. Tolan, Murray, and I were talking with one Twilik woman. She had these broad shoulders and looked like she could have planted the three of us. And we were all talking about the techniques required to grow calvines and how they work the fields. Una was her name. Very nice. She grew up on Seston Four. That's how we found all that stuff out about Chorus, the guy in charge. There was no hesitation in her voice. She bluntly said she was loyal to him and the town's council. They ensured that the farmers had what they needed and were protected from any mining interests that sought to exploit them. Which apparently was the norm until he rolled in a few years back. She pointed out some of the new drainage ditches and irrigation lines and told us about the town's plan to expand the farms once the new water treatment facilities were completed. Flaudine was destined to be a full city one day, one that could rival any of the aging mining towns that were now becoming obsolete. The LT, Husto, and Hefspar were gone for six hours. We marched along the perimeter of the town and got a better view of the surrounding farmland. Jintala was giving us mental drills of what-ifs. How would we defend this place if we had to? It didn't matter if we were defending or attacking this place. The battle would be decided in the actual fringes of the city, not the farmland out here. This would just be a pad we'd use to slow in advance. I was about to say that, and I know if we'd stayed in the field much longer, Staven definitely would have shot her mouth off. But then we saw the shuttle returning with the boss man. He had a very brief conversation with the sergeants and we moved out. Maybe five minutes. That was it. One of those conversations where he was the only one talking. Who knows what happened at that fancy meeting, but pretty soon we were headed west by northwest, running parallel, a click from the north bank of the river. The town faded from view and, and the bugs were coming out. I was half-eaten already, and had just sprayed myself down with repellent when the comms clicked in. 79, break into squads and assume column formation. We're heading due north until I say otherwise. Maintain a four-meter spread and prepare for hostile maneuvers. Over. What? Hostiles? Here? We just left a town that seemed like it belonged in one of the core worlds. 
Who was this guy on about? We did what we were told, though. We trusted the LT implicitly. I got low, started north. There was no trail and the grass was thick. Well over your head. There'd be times you couldn't see much of anyone around you. Then you'd be back in the mud. Not many trees, though. But you can be sure we eye-fucked every tree we saw. Looking for snipers. Those greasy little shits. Just one, a good one, could slow the progress of an entire company. I should know, I was training to be one. The stooped marching, though. That shuffle was always harder when you had a full pack. It was easy to distract yourself from the muscle pain if you remembered somebody could be trying to kill you. So we just kept moving. Step by step. Eyes left, then right. Turn around, look behind. Then keep going. It was a long walk. We did this for over an hour. Eventually making it to a nice shallow slope in an area with a lot less tall grass. Looked like a fire had been through there recently, maybe the last year. And again, no shots, nothing, just silence. Drop and hold, 79. Begin OP protocols. An observation post. We did this every night. But since we were in a situation where we were anticipating an enemy presence, the way we'd set up would be a bit different. Came in from the side, slower, more deliberate. Then we fanned out, side to side, forming a triangle with a full field of fire, strong points on the corners. The sides lined with foxholes, in this case, four of them. Two muds per hole, take turns sleeping, keeping watch. Command post would be in the middle, LT would keep tabs, make sure we weren't dicking around. He'd have Murray with him in case he needed to put in a call or anything. There was a tension that night. LT making changes on the fly, which was unusual. And the fact that Murray still didn't give us any dirt on what went down in Flaudeen just had us a bit jumpy. Eltherium more than the rest. What do you think happened in town? Is that why we went over country? How the shit would I know that? Staven wasn't having it. I felt bad for her. She was already jumpy, and being in a hole with someone else who was almost always jumpy, not a good time. Well, I felt bad for her if shit didn't go down. If it did go down, I was jealous. Eltherium was surprisingly great to have around when hostiles opened up. He actually calmed down. He was so slick three weeks ago when shit went down that he got called out for a citation. He just found this calm, which is exactly what you want. And Staven and Eltherium were the next hole over. I was dug in with Tolan. He was the squad grenadier, so that made me, his foxhole buddy, his assistant grenadier for the night. I was to ensure his RPS-6 rocket launcher had enough ammunition, should we need it. Once our hole was dug, we collected rockets from our squad mates, built the pop box from his pack, and kept them as dry as possible. We marked sites and ranges of potential hotspots, built up a solid defense. Orto would accept nothing less. Nine hours had passed. I was on watch. 
A mist hung on the grass around us and it was smotheringly quiet. In the dark, I scanned our surroundings and occasionally made eye contact with the foxhole beside me. Gave them a nod, rude gesture here and there, a point in one direction or another. Couldn't smoke, though. The light could get you killed. Sniper sees that, knows it's near your head. Pop, pop. It's all over. Our side faced the downgrade, so the view was decent. Sparse shrubs for at least 300 meters. Grasses and undergrowth. The odd tree. Taller collection of bushes. Toppled over, burnt trunk. Clear lines of sight. All the way to some light forest cover. More like a swamp breaking through the marshland that we just marched through. This region, the Vista Valley, named after the river we were heading for, was situated between two clustered chains of mountains. The Gossamer Peaks in the south and the Toblin Range to the north were broken by rolling hills, plains, and the marshland between them. This was a dream for a big game hunter. I'd already seen a few calf hounds sniffing around the fringe and a massive Yanvar buck with a full rack of frontal horns and a spiked tail that had fetched thousands on the black market. People ground those tails up and used them for aphrodisiacs or something. I don't know. And I would have put the thing down too if it wasn't for the no fire order. As I swatted away keg flies and flicked vamp slugs off the edges of the foxhole, a scream broke the air. What did Lieutenant Ordo learn in the town of Flaudine? Who is Jesper Chorus? Who is Jesper Chorus? And what prompted that scream in the night? That's next time on The Adventurer. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, Make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.